0: Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.
1: Creator, Redeemer, Spirit, encircle us with your mystery that we may join the feast, seated at table with all creation. Amen. You may be seated. During this season of Epiphany, we are exploring what I like to call the Christian mysteries. The Christian mysteries, incarnation, atonement, resurrection, trinity. Throughout its long history, the Christian community has pondered this set of mysteries drawn from the life of Jesus, mystery, mystery. This word, in its ancient sense, points us towards something hidden, a dawning awareness that only unfolds slowly through pondering, musing, reflection. In this sense, these Christian treasures—incarnation, atonement, resurrection, trinity—are not fixed dogmas with a singular meaning. Now, all four of these, I think, are mysteries, but one of them is, I think, most obviously mysterious. Trinity. Trinity is one of those Christian teachings that whenever anyone says they understand it, you kind of think they haven't really thought it through. The Westminster Catechism, for instance, says, There be three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one, true, eternal God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory, although distinguished by their personal properties. Yes, I completely know what that means. Right? I mean, we are mostly presented the Trinity as this intellectual teaching that we're supposed to affirm whether or not we understand it And we're rarely introduced, I think, to the Trinity as a mystery to experience. What I want today is to begin to reclaim the lived experience of Trinity. I think this is important because we are, by and large, a heady people. I'm a person who lives in my head a lot. I find my way in the world through words, through the reading of many, many books. But my body, not so much a few years back, I really started to reckon with this fact that I, I'm pretty disconnected from my embodiment. For example, uh, when I was young, I walked to school, which was a few blocks away from my house, and I always would carry my bright orange Snoopy lunchbox. Right? You can see it, right? He's laying on his little house, his doghouse. It's bright orange, and I'm holding it, and I, as I would walk, I would daydream. I was a little gay kid, so I would like... <laughs> flounce a bit and I would see the ginkgo trees and the clouds and I would be in my head and at some point I would look down and the lunchbox would no longer be in my hand and I would turn around and it would be like 50 yards behind me on the sidewalk and I had not noticed when it hit the ground. Also, another example of this for me, working in a church in California, I would often find myself feeling really deeply tense and anxious after our Sunday services. I would go home and I just, I just couldn't unwind. I felt so, and I, and I would talk with my spiritual director about this tension, and at one point I thought, is this spiritual warfare? You know, and I was like, what's going on inside me? And then one day I noticed that there was a huge urn of coffee in the, libra- in the, li- the lobby, and I would just throughout the morning just go over and refill my cup and i would go around and i would go back and refill my cup again and by the end of the day i'd had like eight or nine cups of coffee and it wasn't spiritual warfare i was just over caffeinated (laughs) i increasingly think that our western spirituality is just cut off from our embodiment from our experience and one place i think this really causes trouble is with the trinity when you hear the word trinity what comes to mind Maybe you hear replaying some explanation or teaching about the Trinity that you were given that may be connected with you. Or maybe you see an image. Maybe it's a symbol or like a triangle or three intersecting circles, which are commonly used. Or maybe it's an icon. Maybe you're familiar with like Rublev's Trinity icon, which we'll see a little bit later in the service. But what if Trinity is not so much an idea to believe, but rather a mystery to encounter, a way of relating to the world in our daily lives? You see, mysteries are not something that we just affirm or believe. You can't memorize a mystery. You hold it gently. You allow it to unfold. You look at it again and again from different angles, and there's always more to see, Trinity, like the Christian mysteries of incarnation, resurrection, atonement, they don't do well when they're pinned down with language to one single meaning. Because mystery will always outgrow categories. Because mystery is pointing beyond to a reality that is at once too large to name and too daily and common to miss. They are with us every day, and they're more than we can name like breath, like love. Like being human. The poet and writer Kathleen Norris uh, was once teaching poetry to children as an artist in residence. And so she would take these fifth grade classes and she would have them write poetry. And one child in a fifth grade class, given freedom to write whatever he wanted, wrote this poem called My Very First Dad. I remember him like God in my heart. I remember him in my heart like the clouds overhead and strawberry ice cream and bananas when I was a little kid. But the most I remember is his love, as big as Texas when I was born." It's beautiful. And the child told Norris merely that uh, he'd been born in Texas. Only later did the teacher share with Kathleen Norris that the boy had actually never known his father. His father had skipped town the day he was born. But the most I remember is his love, as big as Texas when I was born. See, I think this poem is a mystery. It's, it's, it draws us up short. It tells us something holy, something bigger than worlds. This, this child is weaving his father's love around himself by saying, well, that love, even if he left, it was as big as Texas. So wherever he was, the love was too. I was still loved. No matter how far the father ran, the boy was still held in his love. And that, that kind of halts you in your tracks, doesn't it? It kind of makes you pause and wonder. Poems gesture beyond themselves toward these embodied realities that uses words to gesture at something experienced that can't be really spoken directly. In a similar way, the art form of iconography in Christian history uses image to point at something that can't be painted. Both help us encounter mystery in our lived experience. Icons have been used for religious meditation throughout church history and suggest a way of orienting our whole self, our whole embodied self in relation to the world. I want to spend some time this morning together looking at various attempts to bring the mystery of Trinity into icons. And I want to explore how these icons show forth ways of holding our bodies in the cosmos, Some, some good, some not so good. That's what trinity is all about. What is deepest reality? What is going on in this world all around us? So we're going to start with one an icon that I think fails to be an icon. It's just kind of like painted doctrine. That's creepy, right? (laughs) You see, when icons become just visual aids to, to communicate a doctrine, they get really weird, really fast. Uh, and that's what we say here with somewhat horrifying results. This trio-faced trinity was actually a popular image for a time until the Pope outlawed it as being unhelpful. <laughs> and I would say Creepy. <laughs> In the ancient church, though, Trinity was mostly gestured at, more than specifically pictured. So here we see above the dome of a church, of a baptistry, about 400 CE, uh, the apex of this dome is what we call the key row, which was a widely used symbol for Christ. The first two letters of Christ's name in Greek, key and row, overlaid. And here it appears in triplicate. And we see this outward mov- movement going on, this movement going forward. So, what we're saying is, these baptized who are being baptized, you know, you'd be in the baptismal, and this is what you would see above you. The baptized are being propelled outward in this outward movement of divine love, the triune God moving out in all directions. Ponder and imagine this outward expansion. What is this? Motion speak to you? What would this stir up for you about the heart of reality? Now, two popular categories of icons persisted throughout most of the medieval period in Western and Eastern Christianity. And the vertical icon is the most familiar to us in the West. So, for example, we have this common icon of the baptism of Christ. Or this one... Uh, which is the throne of God. And uh, it's a, this is an interesting one because I like to call this the, uh, the nesting doll icon. Or also I call it the Goldilocks icon. You know, this Father God is too big. This Holy Spirit is too small. This Jesus is just right. And then this finally, uh, the throne of grace icon where the Father holds aloft the cross. And you can barely see it, but the Spirit is, is hovering right above the top of the cross there. Now, first off, in Western Christianity, we note that the the spirit is really diminished, leading to what one theologian calls hunt the dove. You know, when you're looking at icons, find the little dove somewhere. It's it's in there, uh, but usually very small. But more importantly, what we see here is the vertical hierarchy, right? This is a very vertical picture, which mirrors how the Western church began to think of the world as an ordered cosmos, top to bottom. Pause and and think for a moment. If this was what you saw, what would this tell you about reality? What does this say about the heart of divinity? We then see a a set of horizontal icons, which are a bit less common in our eastern world. Uh, this one is from the Ethiopian church. We could call it the triplet icon, the triplet deity. But you also can see this in the west, this horizontal. Uh, although, again, we see here the spirit is diminished to the dove Though we lose here the stress on verticality, what ends up happening in these icons is you have this horizontal sameness among the divinity, but it's above you. And so what ends up happening is you've got the equality, but then we are down below in this subject position. And again, imagine if this is what you saw of the Trinity, what would this say about the world? This this, this three-person God, but up above. I think for many of us, some picture of like this is how we imagine the divinity, up there, their authority, a a judgment idea, or hierarchical. And I think for many of us, even though we've deconstructed the idea of a patriarchal or a hierarchical God, that still is really embedded in our bodies, in our way of thinking about the world and engaging the world. We often feel cut off from the presence of God. God is up there or out there or somewhere else and probably looking down in all senses of the word. But there are other ways of encountering the mystery of Trinity. So I want to show some other icons throughout church history that I think propose a different way of thinking about God. So this one is from Hildegard von Bingen, who's a mystic from the 11th century. And this is her icon of the Trinity. So notice that while Christ has a human form, the creator and the spirit are merely fields of energy, which are strikingly womb-like. And as the divine energy flows outward, Christ brings our humanity straight into the center of union with the divine. And we're going to see this circle motif again and again and again. One really familiar icon to us is Rublev's Trinity, uh, which is depicted as three angels seated at a meal. At the time Rublev was painted, it wasn't uh, orthodox allowed to paint the person of God directly. And so what Rublev did is he took the story from Genesis 18 of these three angels coming to have a meal with Abraham. And so they're seated around the table as three angels, but this is supposed to be the triune Godhead. And again, we see this circle, this circle pattern of divinity that's really strongly uh, portrayed. But notice how the heads are inclined to one another, this kind of mutual love and affection that's going around in a circle. But we also see this open spot, And if you ever get a chance to see a reproduction at that size, this is a huge icon. And so when you walk up to it, it really does feel like you are walking up to this open space in the table. And so what happens here is our humanity is invited to join in like a magnet. It pulls us inward to the feast. This This icon has captured a lot of imaginations recently, and it's being redrawn in even more inclusive forms, like this one by Kelly Lattimore. Next, William Blake's sketch of the Trinity. I love this one. This introduces us to the divine circle, but also an outstretched overflow. So we have the arms of the brooding spirit, the arms of the crucified one, which outstretch toward all creation. But we also have the arms of the creator, which are reaching down around the crucified Christ. In Blake's image, overflow and embrace are at the heart of the divinity. And then finally, this icon by the nun Marlene Schultz. Uh, This is perhaps my favorite, which combines the divine circle with movement in all directions. Up, down, back, out, like a spiraling dance. The circle has broken open here, and the divine is shown as all openness and relationality. Now, notice a few things in this set of icons. First off, there's a real ambiguity of gender and authority, right? There's no clear father and son. There's no person who's above another. There's no hierarchy. Rather, there are circles of inclusion and mutuality. And I think this is closer to the heart of what the doctrine of Trinity is really getting at. As we encounter Trinity throughout the scripture, it's never named as Trinity, but whenever you get this idea of these three persons, what you find is always this mutuality, this sharing of life together, this shared love We also see a circular motion. The circle expands outward and it draws inward. It spins and it rotates like a dance. It moves toward inclusion. And we also see relationality. All of these images depict a trinity that is highly engaged in giving and receiving, in knowing and being known, in loving and being loved. what we're meant to do with the mystery of trinity is not to simply believe in the idea but live into an embodied reality for example we enact the triune circle of rublev's icon every time we take eucharist together here right this table stands here open and we move forward and one by one take our place at the open table and so we embody our response to the divine you are invited to come I know that many of us have worked and struggled over the past years to deconstruct patriarchal, authoritarian, and judgmental ideas of God. But these reimagined icons suggest ways that living with the Trinity can deepen our experience of God with us through embodied experiences. So, for example, perhaps you might take time to walk a labyrinth. Labyrinths are these circular prayer paths that are laid out. They're not mazes. You can't get lost unless you do it wrong, but you work your way toward the center and then back outward. And that circular motion of the steps can embody a dance, experiencing that the deepest reality is this delight of a dance with God. Or maybe another way of embodying Trinity, you might allow yourself to be embraced by a loved one, and picture the warmth and belonging of your love emanating outward, outward and outward, experiencing love as the deepest reality of creation. Or you might set yourself a table with three other chairs and imagine the divinity sitting with you, delighted to share a moment of rest over a cup of coffee or tea, savoring your presence, being known as the deepest reality of all creation. Or you might use your imagination to set your body in the midst of this triune love. I'd like to invite us, as we close this sermon, to take a moment for a meditation. So wherever you are, I'd invite you to get comfortable, as comfortable as is possible, in these hard blue plastic chairs. Put your feet on the ground and take a moment to breathe deeply. You might want to close your eyes, or you might want to look on one of these icons that you find most compelling on the screen. And I invite you to picture yourself at the center of three rings these three rings which are revolving slowly around you. And there you are warm and safe in their midst. with our attention on the outmost ring. In that outmost ring is all that sustains and gives you life. What do you see there? What sustains you? And then in the second ring in that second ring is all the community that brings you mercy, healing, and renewal that tells you you belong. Who do you see there? Who is your community? And in the center ring with you, right within you like a glowing light, is all that inspires, invigorates, and draws you forward toward growth, toward life. A deep breath bringing energy to you. What's there with you? What inspires and invigorates you right now? These three rings around us, we are imagining Creator who sustains, Redeemer with mercy and healing, and Spirit that inspires and invigorates. This is Trinity. This is our reality. If your eyes are closed, I invite you to gently open them when you're ready. You see, Trinity is about so much more than how many persons God is. Trinity is about living into our reality. The most deep reality of this world is relationship. The most true existence is self-giving. The most beautiful way is love. Knowing and being known, including and being included, embracing and being embraced. When we embody these experiences, we are experiencing the heart of the divine. And that is why we confess a triune God, a God who is for us, creating, sustaining, a God who is with us, redeeming and resurrecting, a God who is in us, inspiring and renewing. May we all find our place in the divine dance and live into its reality with all our bodies and hearts. Will you pray with me? Creator, Redeemer, Spirit, encircle us with your mystery that we may join the feast, seated at table with all creation.
0: We hope that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.